Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to another episode of Concord Matters, where we seek to be of one mind in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, believing we can same say, we can confess what he has declared to us in the words of Holy Scripture, and we do this by making our way through the confessions of the Lutheran Church found in the book of Concord. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and uh, I'm here with my regular compadre of compatriots. i got to find a, something better that goes with compadre, guys. What's better? Compadre of components? That's not right. Right? No, something ill just doesn't even The regular know. team. The regular, that sounds... Not comrades either. I don't like compadre that. Compadre of comrades. Compadre feels no, like I need exactly. a hat with a hammer and sickle pin and stuff. I'm here with my regular compadre <laughs> of the regular team, as Pastor Smith suggests. Pastor Sean Smith, Pastor Peter Eel, and Mr. Peter Slayton. I don't have my notes in front of me to mention all of your congregations and jobs and stuff, so you can say that. Your standard Concordians? <gasps> compadre oh. of Concordians! Oh. Oh. It works. We could be confessors. Compadre of confessors. Compadre of confessing Concordians. All the way Whoa. Yeah? Yeah? That's yeah. so much alliteration. Right. I can't and, take it. And in case you think this show's about nothing, it's not. We're actually talking about the Confessions of the Lutheran Church, which we subscribe to as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We're in the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, Justification by Grace Through Faith, getting closer... After about a year here to the to the end of the thing, we, we, we should be hitting, I hope, by the end of the day, the adversary's other arguments, which is just a page before the conclusion, which is just a page and a half before <laughs> we're, we're, we're almost the there. there. We're getting there. And today, I mean, today we're going to get to hear Philip Melanchthon say, stop, dear reader. So at least we'll, we'll get that kind of fun to go on. But uh, uh, good to have you back, Pastor Ill. You were, you were in, in absentia last week. Yeah, I went up to a conference in Fort Wayne, Indiana for uh, pastoral theology and church music, which is always a good time. Mm-hmm. But I am excited to get to be back, too. Yeah, well, it's good to have you because it was definitely boring without you. I almost fell asleep while I was talking. It was really bad, man. How is that different than any other week? I was on the phone from I my noticed. office and walking in it's, circles. I was like, I just can't handle it. Yeah, it was yeah. different because I noticed that I was falling asleep. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, is it time to take up our text it for the It definitely is. Okay, I'm going to say one more thing for the sake oh, of the listener, that we are good, also good. being video live streamed right now at KFUO's Facebook, Facebook page, page, facebook.com slash KFUO, via some marvelous new technology. And Mr. Andy Bates himself is in the house, monitoring the iPad, and able to zoom in close on whoever he thinks is funny looking. So there you go. Pastor Slade. It's going to be stuck Pastor on my face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I could put up a good uh, you know, competition for so that if, one. So if you want to watch us, you'll also be able to hear us speak at the that place only uh, during the break. So while we go to the promos, you'll be able to kind of hear us sit here and and pretend to be uh, yeah, what's what's the not casual, but um, uh, we know one's watching. What's that called? You take a picture candid. behind the scenes. Candid, candid. candid. Pret- We're going to pretend to be candid. That's when we are the compadre of candid confessors. Candid confessing. Concordians. Sorry. Con- yeah. I, can't, no, I can't take it anymore. The compadre of Canada right. confessing Concordians picking up at paragraph 237 of the Apology of the Augsburg 
I want to say an A word, so but it's confession, but it would like keep the the. Uh, it's not an the onomatopoeia. Alliteration. alliteration. Onomatopoeia is a cool word, though. Blah. That, that's an onomatopoeia. It is. Blah. <laughs> Where is this show going? It's going to paragraph 237 of the Apology Logsburg Confession, if we could actually get there, where it says, this logic is altogether new. He's talking about the logic they're applying to the scriptures to make it sound like we're justified by works. We hear the term reward and are supposed to conclude that there is no need of Christ as mediator or of having faith excuse me, or of faith having access to God for Christ's sake, not for the sake of our works. Who does not see that these are unrelated sentences wrongly joined together? We do not argue about the term reward. We argue whether good works are of themselves worthy of grace and of eternal life, or whether they please only on account of faith, that's our argument, our position, which takes hold of Christ as mediator. Our adversaries not only attribute this to works, namely that they are worthy of grace and of eternal life, but they also state, falsely, that works have surplus merits, which is this crazy idea that not only can my good works be good for me, I can get so good at them that they're good for you too, and then I can sell them to you. So you don't even have to be good and you can be saved with how good I am. That's the treasury of merits. It's a huge deal in medieval Rome and it technically is still part of what they teach today. The adversaries maintain that these merits can be granted to other people to justify them as when monks sell to others the merits of their orders. They heap up these freakish ideas, it's kind of fighting language, in the manner of Chrysippus, especially about the one word reward. And here's a quote. It is called a reward. Therefore, works are the price paid for it. So works please by themselves and not for the sake of Christ as mediator. That's a direct quote from Chrysippus arguing about the treasury of merits in Roman Catholicism, medieval Rome, and the monks. And since one has more merits than another, some have surplus merits. Those who have earned them can sell them to others, and not for the sake of Christ. The mediator should really jump at us there. So where, where do you want to hit this, guys? I want to start with, uh, outside of the confessions, I don't know who Chrysippus is. Yeah. Do we know anything about this guy? I do not myself. Nope. Smith, yeah, I know you got Has, has Walther mentioned him ever? No. No? Wow. He's not I that big nothing. of a guy. Well played. <laughs> Okay, I'm. I what stuck out. So I, I have a background in, in translation, vaguely, mainly recruiting for it. And the word "freakish" stuck out at me as a not a normal word from this time period. I, so I'm, I, my one, I wonder how did that word get chosen as the proper translation of whatever the German or Latin, well, German or Latin. What was the original on this one? I can't remember. This should have been in Latin. Latin, because it was a response to the church. Yeah. I don't. I don't know that answer either. <laughs> I want to know the Latin word for freakish now. That I can. I can Google that. Well, it would have been German first. It would have been More. German yeah. first in this one. The apology yeah. was German first. Oh yeah. Oh, okay, that's well, what. That was you. my question. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, they were very bullish on uh, both the Augsburg Confession and the apology being German gotcha. as the primary. Um, they did write it in Latin as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know what that word would be. Um, but uh, the the um, ha. The German word for freakish, at least in modern German, is, get it? Wait. Freakish. <laughs> but it's spelled with an S-C-H. That makes it okay. better. That means it probably came from so, English into German, so it's probably not an original German word. Or our English yeah. is a transliteration of the German. Could be. Could I don't be. know. Yeah, we just don't have that information. It just, it just so jumped is, out at me as an yeah. anachronism. So yeah, can we talk so. about the faith, which we confess yeah. yes. instead? Well, and I was just looking here, too, um... I looked up Chrysip, Chry, that word, uh -huh, Chrysippus. That thank you. Um, he was a uh, Greek Stoic philosopher, um, and uh, this this is actually 
part of the thing that we've seen a few times through the apology here is is that uh, um, they're using more philosophy uh, than actual theology, Mm -hmm. especially grounded in the way the church has always taught it. Um, This is a very scholastic move, and we still kind of live under this this problem in the church. I remember uh, going through seminary, um, one of the the really good books that uh, I had to read for a class um, was Philosophy for Understanding Theology, which is there there is so much um, that has come from philosophy that has influenced the way that we view our theology when that's really not the way it's supposed to be. And so this this is a very common move of our adversaries is that they're using this uh, um, philosophy to inform how they're looking at the theology. And it's it's really easy to miss that distinction because philosophical answers do tend to make sense and they work. And you hear it and you're like, oh, that sounds very reasonable. And if you don't actually pull out scripture and compare it to what God's word actually says, you know, you, you get a lot of teachers who will just kind of say, well, you know, according to the Bible and then give a philosophical answer when there's not actually a biblical argument being made, but... Our, our sinful nature is such that, well, it sounds reasonable. I'm just going to go with it. And it's very easy to just fall right into that. And Chrysippus's logic is pretty good, where he says, oh, the Bible calls you as a Christian to go do good works. So is there a point when your good works can be enough? Um, and you can tie in some Bible verses with that about uh, how we overflow with grace and so on. And you can go ahead and make that argument that you can get a super abundance, more than enough good works, and you can even trade them. That's all a very, I guess, decent philosophical understanding. The problem is it's not a biblical understanding. And here, Chrysippus and logic and philosophy go beyond what the Word of God says. And in our quest to know stuff and understand things about God and about the Christian faith, we end up making logical assumptions and assertions like this one, that you can trade your good works, but our works are only good in Christ. And so the building blocks of Chrysippus's logic are broken. So he can logic everything out, but if one of those assumptions is wrong, the whole thing comes falling down like a house of cards. Well, it's, it, we the word that they're focusing on here in particular in this particular in this section is reward and it's it's so easy to read that wrongly because i understand reward to be something which i have earned i behaved well i did the right thing i i won the race i i competed in such a way that i deserve the reward i earn the reward at the end and that's how we humans talk about reward we do the same thing with with the concept of love God is love. Well, I define love in this way over here. Therefore, that must be what God is. It's the same thing going on here. As a human, this is how I define the word reward, uh, specifically in English, if we want to go that far. Therefore, when scripture says the word reward, this is what I think it means. You're, you're, you're eisegeting and you're reading that meaning into it rather than drawing it out. You're who wedding? <laughs> I'm taking a meaning and inserting it into scripture rather than drawing the meaning out of Scripture, which would be exegesis would be the proper way, drawing it out of Scripture. I'm eisegeting, I'm putting it in, I'm inserting that meaning into it. It is interesting, that the word reward, I mean, it does, in English, it, I'm looking at some of the etymology here, it has a 
a connection point to getting paid for a service, but other kinds of synonyms like uh, a prize, right? Well, a prize is not necessarily something that you earn. A prize can be something that you are given that you then I prize it, right? I value it highly. And so with the opinion of the law that is within us latches onto the potential that I can do something for me that God has to say yay for. Yeah. And so I, I, I latch onto this word reward. I think it was interesting, uh, Pastor Hill, what you were talking about as well with, with this very seemingly logical idea that if I can be good, therefore I should be able to be good enough to have leftover goodness when I'm done and then I can I can sell it to others because that's what a good person would do with his good works is he'd sell them. Or, or even <laughs> give it. Yeah. Like he here we're focused on selling, but but there's a there's a belief at the root of this that I can do a good work. That, that, that at the end of the day, it's not what my heart does at all. It's merely this external thing that good works are only outside of me, which is one of the main philosophical shifts of how we view sin and and where justification gets awry because we believe that I can do a good work that is yet without sin in this in this present age. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for agreeing with me. <laughs> Smith, are you here today? Yes. Well, and th- this this is going to move on here in just a second. Stop, and, dear reader. Well, and even after that, where we're kind of talking about this word reward, and I imagine some listeners might be thinking, well, you're kind of making a big deal over this word, and he's going to hit that issue very much here. But it's connected with, before we get to that point, um, this this earlier part where we started here, that this this is no little matter because... What is Christ for? What what was his death, resurrection, and all of that for, if if not for saving us, hmm. if not being the merit that we need, and that if our good works contribute anything, then it nullifies Christ. And so then, I mean, we if if this teaching of theirs, if this logical argument of theirs, the adversaries of Rome follows through, then we really ought not call ourselves Christians. We ought to call ourselves Shawnians or something of that nature <laughs> because it's by my good works that I get in there. Uh, or Jonathans or, you me, know, who, um, yeah, um, meians. I like yeah. Slatonist. Yeah, that's, Slatonists. That's, yeah. Mm. I'm not ready to convert. I'll be, I'll be a, I'm going to be a meian uh, for a long time. Yeah. So stop, dear reader, Philip Melanchthon oh. says. What, Pastor Hill, did you want to distract I, us and not I said let us I get to the Ellen, show? That is I'm unfortunately correct. Okay, go on, Reverend Reverend Father Fisk, sir. Stop, dear reader. Uh, paragraph 240. You don't have the whole chain of arguments, for certain sacraments of this purchase must be added. The hood is placed upon the dead. The blessing brought to us in Christ and the righteousness of faith have been hidden by since such addition. So this is kind of an aside and it probably belongs with the previous paragraph. If I'm understanding this correctly, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong on this, but... Basically, he's saying that there are there are certain uh, physical things that were done to like make sure the transfer of merit really works. And he's saying, wait, 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 you don't even have a whole picture. Look how cool it is. They even give you a little hood to wear when you're dead to show you got all the monk's merits on you. Yeah. And and he's he's mocking, I think, at this point the the hilarity of their their practice. Now, am I am I reading that right? You guys maybe don't even know. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor yeah. Smith. So we are not trying, and this is this is kind of what your point was, Pastor Smith. We are not trying to start a needless word battle around the, the word reward. But this is a great, exalted, and very important matter, right? Is Christ mediator or not? Uh, about which Christian hearts can find truth and certain comfort. It is about whether our works can give consciences rest and peace, whether we are to believe that our works are worthy of eternal life, or whether that is given to us for Christ's sake. These are the real questions regarding this matter. If consciences are not rightly taught about these, they can have no certain comfort. 
However, we have stated clearly enough that good works do not fulfill the law, that we need God's mercy, that through faith we are accepted by God, that good works, be they ever so precious, even if they were the works of St. Paul himself, cannot bring rest to the conscience. Uh, key, man, it, it, the conscience is such a part of this. It, it makes sense. Now, we are to believe that we receive eternal life through Christ by faith, not because of our works or of the law. But what do we say of the reward the scripture mentions? If the adversaries will admit that we are regarded righteous through faith because of Christ, and that good works please God because of faith, we will not afterward argue much about the term reward. We confess that eternal life is a reward. It is something due because of the promise, not because of the merits. Right? So it's a payment for something indeed, but but it's a promise, not for or a payment for promise, not payment for works. Like so, if you have a check, it's got to be cashed. It's it's going to be rewarded at a certain point, even if you didn't write the check. For the justification has been promised, which we have previously shown to be properly God's gift. To this gift, the promise of eternal life has been added, according to Romans eight. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. Here belongs what Paul says, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. 2 Timothy 4. The justified are due the crown because of the promise. Saints should know this promise, not that they may labor for their own profit, for they ought to labor for God's glory. But saints should know it so that they may not despair in troubles. They should know God's will. He desires to aid, to deliver, and to protect them. Although the perfect hear the mention of the penalties and rewards in one way, the weak hear it in another. The weak labor for the sake of their own advantage, yet the preaching of rewards and punishments is necessary. God's wrath is set forth in the preaching of punishments. That's probably not the best place to stop, but the, that paragraph goes on for like another page. So I'm going to go ahead and and pause it right there and let you guys at least jump in a little on it. Pastor Ill, that's beautiful. It's, it's brings a tear to my eye. Yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, something? I thought you were going to pause it. Something. No. You said you were going to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> The, We've gone from alliteration to puns. Yeah, this is going downhill. The, the, Moving on. The, so the pile of punning people. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't help but go through this section of the apology, this whole article, really. And not think of in the context of what uh, we've heard in the three-year lectionary, which most of the churches uh, use. Um, and, and we also heard on Sharper Iron, the other show that you have in the mornings um, here recently this last week, of uh, Matthew 25 and the parable of the virgins, mm -hmm. right? So when we view the reward as entry into the banquet feast, the mm -hmm. heavenly banquet feast, um, the bridegroom is the one that gets us in, right? And the virgins foolish and wise alike all fall asleep we all experience these troubles and and the comfort that comes right is that the wise ones receive that entry in with the bridegroom mm -hmm. now a fool actually takes a look at that parable that jesus gives and says well what do i have to do what do i need to do to get that oil right well the oil is faith that's that's our whole point is this this is exactly the hope, the comfort that you have, that you have been supplied with what you need. It's pure grace. It's pure mercy to you. All you have to do is just be where it is promised to be there. And we see that in the sacraments. We see that in God's holy word, living and active, creating faith, sustaining us in the faith. And and the real danger of this then is, is that when 
and they've talked about this earlier, they, they kind of are inventing these new things when we mm-hmm. have this misunderstanding. And we're kind of like the, the foolish virgins out there running around trying to find out, well, how do I get in there? How do I get in? And then we come and find the door is closed in that last day. You know, I'm gonna, it always, kinda, it, it can't change the parable. Right. But what if they hadn't left to go get oil? What if they just stood there and waited and walked in? Right. right. I mean, they, they were there. They and they had mm-hmm. oil. They knew it was happening. And their big problem is that they go out searching, right. and they're they're not waiting for the the answer, waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. Yeah. And I'm going off on this side tangent of the this parable here, but I think it really is important because this whole thing that they've built up around this reward, this treasury of merits and so forth that you get from the saints and you go and see the relics. And I mean, this whole convoluted system, it is a very complicated system that Rome had built in the Middle Ages. And as you mentioned earlier, is still in place in their teaching in the mm-hmm. church. And we even see it in what we broadly call American and evangelicalism, you know, uh, we get caught up in so many things. I, I, you know, I, I, I see it, the tendency and struggle even in my own life at times too, of, you know, I, I'm, I'm busy with this and I'm busy with that. And, you know, I don't, I become complacent and I become lazy and I don't, you know, find time to, to read God's word, to receive his sacraments, to be strengthened in the faith in those places where he has promised to, to provide all of that oil that we need. Right. And so you get so caught up in that. And then you, you know, I need some kind of comfort. I need some kind of assurance that I can get in there. And so what do you do? You turn to your works. Well, basically I'm a pretty good person. I'm I'm only busy and I don't have time for that because I've done everything that I need to do, caring for my family, working, whatever have you. And it misses the point entirely. And we're out there searching for something that we don't need. And you're right. It'd be interesting to change the parable, except for that Jesus gives us that parable, and that's why I brought it in, is because it accurately depicts exactly what we see in all ages, too. You said something that struck me in the um, towards the beginning there about how the adversaries are adding a whole bunch of things into the middle. I mean, really, it's as simple as, here's the promise. The promise is Christ saying to us, I will give you eternal life. The reward is eternal life. It's promise, reward. There's mm-hmm. nothing in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's just those two things. But we want to add things into the middle so that the reward is a reward for what we've done as opposed to simply a res- uh, gift of the promise itself. Yeah. We want yeah. to yeah. read ourselves into the story at some point, not just to be the recipient, because being the recipient's cool and all, but it's not as cool as being a contributor. I don't have as much control. Exactly. And all of us in our sinful pride are control freaks. Yeah. And we want to take over because simply getting to receive the gift and let Jesus be in control, to let him be the Lord our God, that's not good enough for this sinful flesh. And so we continue to try to uh, insert ourselves where we're not really needed. Jesus says, I have a promise for you. Let me give it to you. And we say, I want to help. And <laughs> that's about right. <laughs> and, and it doesn't sin, work. though. Yeah. That's yeah. the part of sin. sin. It, it really is. And, it, you know, to use an analogy, maybe we, maybe I use too many analogies, but I, I remember like years ago, um, I, I thought, you know, it'd be kind of cool to be a bullpen catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. You know, they make pretty decent money. And when they win the, the World Series, which happens often enough for the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, you get a World Series ring and you get to celebrate in that with the team and so forth. And someone said to me, they said, but yeah, wouldn't you rather like, you know, if in a perfect world, like you could be like the main star of the team. That's the reason it's like, 
I mean, this is, again, you know, just an analogy. But, yeah, I mean, that is the sinful tendency is, yeah, I want to be the main star that wins the World Series. But, really. I got a ring. Yeah. yeah. I was there. Yeah, I got a ring. <laughs> I'd be happy with that. Yeah. I really would settle for I mean, that. Other than it's a cards yeah. ring. But what are Stop, you do? dear listener. We need to apologize for Pastor Smith and his rabid devotion to the Cardinals. It's misplaced. It should be the Cubs. What? It should wow. be. Well, <laughs> we're going to get calls. We, we, we need to be careful here, you, but. You only we, get that like every 100 plus years or so. I though. think that Yadier Molina but it's is enough. safe in his. We in got his the reward. Catching. That's the point. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless. Well, uh, I got a question. Oh, good. I got a question. Is. is he's this just mad my, because my he's a Tiger fan that is, never gets over. Is uh, <laughs> Cubs, and, Cubs and Cardinals, is that American or National League? National, National, League. National League. Oh, yeah. otherwise we could have had the awesome analogies of ambling American leaguers, but we can't oh, because it's the National no, League. No, that's too bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. And that, that was off topic again. Yep. Now, now we have nothing to talk about. Back to the word. <laughs> but, but it did. What made me think of that too is I think last week you said, uh, Pastor Fisk, you know something about like you get to the end of the season and you've won the championship and and you're kind of like standing there like, oh, where's my trophy for getting the trophy? Yeah, right. You know, this right. is kind of what it boils down <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, here. that's exactly yeah. right. I think there's the other side of the coin too. You mentioned, you know, Pastor Ill said, you know, I want to help. So there's that side of it. The opposite side is, oh, great, I'm gonna do whatever I want then. Mm-hmm. So we struggle with both of those equally mm-hmm. as part of our sinful but nature. Even, even right. in the doing whatever we want, we think that we're helping ourselves. So it's we're, sort yeah, of like I'm going to just, e- even the wicked person is justifying their life by their pursuit sure. of, say, just pure hedonism. They're trying to make it right so far as they understand it to be. And the the analogy I tend to go to is the, the person who's drowning. You're a drowning man. Now, imagine not just a drowning man, but somebody, you find out you get cast to be on a TV show. You're going to get your one shot at fame. You're going to be on TV, and they cast you as the guy who's drowning, right? <laughs> All you get to do is get saved, and no one's going to be really happy with that role, But unless you're actually drowning, and you actually do need to be saved, which is pretty much what we're dealing with when we're talking Christianity, who Jesus is, and what he's done. You listen to Concord Matters, we're like, hey, if you will, we'll be right back. Concord Matters is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere, since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. 
curious about an active retirement in a Christ-centered community in Central Florida, Lutheran Haven's brand new residence, The Landings, offers spacious villa-style homes, convenient amenities, coupled with a low-maintenance lifestyle that makes for an ideal retirement. With more than 50% of the community already sold, now is the time to discover why so many have made the decision to call The Landings at Lutheran Haven Home. Call 888-298-5590 or visit lutheranhaven.org slash KFUO to discover how you can get the most out of your retirement at Lutheran Haven. We give thanks to God for 48 years of His grace and blessings on the ministry of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, 2211 Tenbrook Road, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. You are invited to join us as we continue to receive God's blessings every week through His Word and Sacraments. Worship on Sunday at 9 a.m., Sunday School and Bible Class at 1030, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, 2211 Tenbrook Road, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. Among the many Bibles on display at Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., is a first edition of the Elliott Indian Bible. It's the first Bible printed in America and in a native American language. John Elliott, a Cambridge scholar and Christian missionary, was a gifted translator and linguist. With the assistance of several native speakers, he learned the Wapanak dialect of the tribes of colonial New England. His New Testament translation was printed in 1661. Two years later, he completed the Old Testament in Wapanak. His translations documented a language that didn't exist in written form before the Elliott Indian Bible. And it was decades before other English and European languages of the Bible would be printed in America. Engage with the Bible, this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible, opening this week in Washington, D.C. You are listening to the conglomerate compadre of capable confessing Concordians here on Concord Matters and Worldwide KFUO. Mr. Peter Slayton, Pastor Peter Ill, Pastor Sean Smith, and myself, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, digging the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, picking up at, well, kind of halfway through paragraph 244, which I'm just going to throw to Pastor Sean Smith to get us going on as the music slowly fades away. Nice fade out. Uh, that's, that's skilled. All right, picking up uh, halfway through uh, 244 there. This applies to the preaching of repentance. Grace is set forth in the preaching of rewards, just as scripture in the mention of good works often embraces faith. For it wishes righteousness of the heart to be included with the fruit. So sometimes it offers grace together with other rewards. We find this in Isaiah 58, 8 through 14, and frequently in other places in the prophets. We also affirm what we have often said, that although justification and eternal life go along with faith, Nevertheless, good works merit other bodily and spiritual rewards and degrees of reward. According to 1 Corinthians 3.8, each will receive his wages according to his labor. The righteousness of the gospel, which has to do with the promise of grace, freely receives justification and new life. But the fulfilling of the law, which follows faith, has to do with the law. In it, a reward is offered and is due, not freely, but according to our works. Those who earn this are justified before they do the law. As Paul says, he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, and we are fellow heirs with Christ. But whenever merit is mentioned, the adversaries immediately transfer the matter from other rewards to justification. Yet the gospel freely offers justification because of Christ's merits and not of our own. His merits are delivered to us through faith. Works and troubles do not merit justification, 
but other payments at payments as the reward is offered for the works in these passages. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Here clearly the measure of the reward is connected with the measure of the work. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land. Also here the law offers a reward to a certain work. The fulfilling of the law earns a reward, for a reward properly relates to the law. Yet we should be mindful of the gospel, which freely offers justification for Christ's sake. We neither obey the law nor can obey it. But before we have been reconciled to God, justified and reborn, nor would fulfilling the law please God unless we were accepted because of faith. People are accepted because of faith. For this very reason, the initial fulfilling of the law pleases and has a reward in this life and in the next. Regarding the term reward, many other remarks derived from the nature of the law might be made here. Since they are too long, they must be explained in another connection. Interesting that now... Melanchthon's worried about going. <laughs> yeah, on now he's long-winded. Long. I mean, as we've been reading this for like a year now, um, now, now we're worried about it. I I, I normally don't make fun of uh, just small slip-ups, but I do gotta love the the, the idea that other pyramids could be a reward. Yeah. <laughs> I think they, it, that I thought that was. I, a, I've a been good in sanctuaries. Correction. I've been yeah. in sanctuaries yeah. where other pyramids would have been a great idea. <laughs> You know, I'm just going to like call out all your mistakes from here oh, on I, out, Pastor Fist. Thank oh, you very much. No. Oh, really? Here, no, go, I, go think, I think that's a great part. Yeah. And I was done. Yeah. You people are way too sensitive. True. Okay. <laughs> We're pastors. One of the things. Oh. That I, well called. Uh, one of the things that I noticed in this wonderful uh, passage is uh, the righteousness of the gospel. Just that phrase, the righteousness of the gospel, is so indicative of the heart of the argument. The only righteousness that's here is the righteousness that we have because of Jesus. And to try to add anything to that, to try to do anything ourselves, to try to help, to try to do things our own way, in all of the various ways that we try to do the Christian faith and the Christian life better, it is really all about the righteousness of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, who suffered and died and rose and ascended into heaven, who is coming again, that is for you. Whoa, Pastor Hill, are you saying there are two kinds of righteousness? Yep. How about that? <laughs> Somebody else want to jump on that? Well, I was going to say that my my thought actually goes right along with that. The, the sentence that jumped out to me here... Um, towards the end of 247. We neither obey the law nor can obey it before we have been reconciled to God, justified, and reborn. Talking about two kinds of righteousness, I, I look at, uh, let's use an example of, of my, my marriage to my wife, because this whole paragraph talks about the rewards that come from fulfilling the law. And so if I look in terms of the law as God's will for my life, being faithful to my wife, and the rewards that come from that, uh, the rewards within that relationship itself, the rewards to my children, the rewards to my extended family, to my church family, everything that comes naturally out of me being faithful to my wife can be seen as rewards. But unless I'm a Christian, it's not actually a fulfilling of the law, which is very interesting because I can look at my neighbor and see my neighbor who is not a Christian being faithful to their wife and say, you know, righteousness before men, hey, that looks like a good thing. I'm glad you're doing that. But I can't actually say that he's doing a good work in the same sense that Scripture talks right. about loving your neighbor and doing a good work. It clearly, you know, we're clearly confessing here that no, only those who have been reconciled to God, 
justified and reborn can please God. Yeah. The, the key there is the in the same sense part, and that's yeah. where the two kinds of righteousness is helpful. Exactly. So, so your neighbor who's a, a Wiccan, staying married to his or her wife, is a good work in the sense that it's doing good to the neighbor. Yep. But it's not a good work in God's sight because it is not joined with faith in Christ. It's not covered by the blood of Christ. All that he sees is the dross of selfish intent dripping yep. from that, and his wrath is... is poised against it. If you're looking for a quick crash course, we keep throwing around this term, the, the two kinds of righteousness. And I want to take a deep breath and back up for just a second. One kind of righteousness is before God. And the only way that we are righteous before God is by the grace of Jesus Christ. But there then is also the righteousness that we have before our neighbors, before others, before the world. And that's where you say for your, your neighbor who isn't a Christian, who loves his wife and diligently takes out the trash and mows the grass, go him. Uh, in that case, it looks like he's doing all of the right things, but God doesn't regard him that way because it's not done in faith. Those things, well, you might think they're good works before God are not good works because they aren't done in faith. And that's where we... Uh, it very much is a reminder of the prophet Samuel going to anoint a new king. He gets to Jesse's house and he says, bring out your sons. And he looks at uh, Jesse's oldest son and he thinks, hey, here is a handsome, strong looking fella. He's going to make a great king. <laughs> He's got to be the guy. He's got to be the guy. Yep. And God says, no, it's not him. He goes, oh, okay. He's bring out confused. the rest of the sons. Yeah. And so... One by one, the sons of Jesse come in before Samuel, and God never says, hey, that's the one who's going to be king. And Samuel gets to the end of the line, and he goes, do you have any other sons? And they say, well, yeah, the youngest is out watching the sheep, and Samuel says, go get him. Uh, and it is God who judges the heart while man judges the appearance. God judges in faith, in Christ what we do and declares the works to be good or not. And it's not what looks good before our neighbors. And even that phrase, God judges the heart, going back to our initial conversation about philosophical answers, I hear that as a Western American, and I think of that in terms of my good intentions toward you. Mm -hmm. And we're right back there to my works. Well, God judges my heart, and my heart is really, my, my intentions are good, I'm really trying hard, and that's what God is going to look at. That's not at all what we're actually saying or what Scripture says. No, we're talking about actually having faith given by God, trusting in Christ. It's sometimes the analogy that I've used to talk about this, too, uh, and, and it's not the most perfect analogy, but I think it kind of works, is... All right, so I have a wife, right? And I do nice things now. for her. <laughs> you do yes, now. I do now, yeah. But... Uh, um, wasn't so me, when we I started reading yeah, the Oxford Confessions true. Apology. A lot's changed uh, <laughs> in that time. Yeah, but uh, so I have a wife, and I do nice things for her. I'm going to take out the trash. You know, I tried to, um, you know, get her flowers or nice gifts from time to time, things like that, right? So the reason that she appreciates those and, and really, you know, responds to those well is because we have that relationship, right? The marriage relationship. Because you are her husband. Because I am her husband, right? Um, now... If that were not the case, right, there may be some of those nice things that have some benefit to her, right? Um, you know, the, God talks about this in, in terms of, you know, even the wicked, you know, they, they can be used to to serve a benefit of 
restraining evil and things in the world, you know, through various vocations. But to get back to my analogy, uh, th there's also another term for what that's done if it lacks any kind of relationship, and that would be called like stalking. Creepy. Right? You know, that's like, creepy. If that were yeah. me yeah. doing it yeah. for your wife, yeah. that'd be creepy. Yeah. And she'd be like, um, uh, freakish. police law. <laughs> freakish. Yeah. There we go. You know, restraining yes. order against you, things yes. like that. Yeah. Um, and so this, this is, you know, as I said, it's not a perfect analogy, but the relationship that we have with God, our Heavenly Father, is only made through faith in Christ, right? That That is how these are appreciated. These are how they receive any sort of reward, right? And apart from that, it is, I, I have no use for these. Right? You know, that's, that's connected a little bit to the what Jesus says in John's gospel about him being the gate for the sheep and that anybody who tries to get in without the gate is a robber and a right. thief and right? mm -hmm. comes in only to steal and destroy. Right. And it is, I mean, I like your, your idea that, you know, God's looking down on us and we look like the weird you know, creepy guy stalking around the house, say, "Hey, pay attention to me. Here's some flowers." Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that that is sort of the the wickedness that we bring, or the, I shouldn't say the wickedness. That is the insanity of our position, as right. we would try to get him to acknowledge us in our righteousness. So, ill, you look like you have to say something. You're no. very happy. No. <laughs> Do our listeners make memes of this show? Because there's got to well, be a meme now of that. Well, they can now that we're showing we ourselves. Go. Yeah, so meme Peter Ill. Don't give them any good ideas. <laughs> meme Peter Ill. You made me think, uh, Pastor Ill, I keep wanting to call you Dr. Ill because it would be a sweet it title. It would be a sweet Ooh. title, but, but I don't want to work can't, that hard. He can't do that because he doesn't can't, have that actual relationship can of having done a dissertation. Of, this is true. <laughs> can our compadre of confessing Concordians stand against the evil Dr. Ill? <laughs> it's a comic book waiting to happen, man. Yeah, it is. Or an audio drama. Do we still do those? We can do it. What now. do you think we're doing right now? Yeah, this is point. pretty dramatic. <laughs> Telling the story of David and talking about God judging the heart. There is this a man after God's own heart thing about David as well. And I, as a uh, kind of half evangelical as I was, I always wondered what that what that meant. And I'm convinced now, and maybe maybe I'm wrong on this, but I'm convinced now that if you want to see the moment in which David is truly a man after God's own heart, yes, when he stands on the name of God and, and throws the stone at Goliath, he's standing in faith. But it's the moment when Nathan points to him and says, you are that man. And as opposed to Saul, who, when he's confronted by Samuel, says, well, it's your fault. You know, uh, David falls to the ground and says, I am that man, right? So to, to, to be a man after God's own heart is to have God judge your heart guilty and declare it to you that you're wicked, even though you think you're good, and to believe that to be true, and then to have also God judge your heart innocent, not because of what you've done, but to declare it so because of what Jesus has done for you. And, and we see that in David. We because see that of in David's Peter. descendant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because, yeah, actually, the son of David uh, pulling it all together. So I mean, maybe even more simply... It's when we agree with God when he speaks. Amen. When God speaks and says, you're a sinner, I say, yes, that is sin. Mm -hmm. I did that. Yeah. And then when he says, you are mine, you are justified, we say, yes, I am. Yeah. Amen. Amen is the word of faith. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, and it's also our confession. You know, we're, we're talking about our the apology of the Augsburg Confession right. and very much tied in with confession of sins, right? We're simply agreeing with what God has said. Yeah. So it is our confession. This whole nature is is tied up in God's mercy. Apart from it, it it's not a faithful confession. Peter, is Facebook agreeing with us? Too? I was wondering if he's playing Candy Crush. Is he at least checking Facebook? It was Facebook. Okay. Yeah, I got that. Our, our dear producer, who might be on vacation today, uh, has alerted us. Uh, shout out to Sweden. 
We have a Swedish Ooh. listener today. Oh, well, that's All excellent. Right. Cool. How how is our producer on vacation when he's right there? No, not that one. Oh, the the our other producer Sarah. Oh, gotcha. we have multiple producers for gotcha. this program. Gotcha. Thanks gotcha. in advance for any other uh, international announcements, Sarah. That'd be great to let us know about those. I don't know about the prettier producer, but <laughs> yeah. But if we've got <laughs> a producer, Andy just to us. said uh, yeah. the prettier producer, um, which we fully. Indoors, even though we all like Andy, it is. Sarah it says is she's definitely at home. It is an alliteration okay. too. The, the prettier producer, just so you know. I, will, I think is. our Swedish listener can settle once and for all if they can. They can type us in on Facebook. They can settle this this controversy that's been going on, which is Cubs, Cardinals, Tigers. Which one? Tigers. Sweden speaks. The prettier producer I know would say Tigers. Why does Sweden, Sweden get the tie-breaking vote on this? Because they probably don't care. <laughs> <laughs> So, let's see if we can get a little more of the text here. Uh, the, the adversary's other argument. So, it's at the point Wonderful. where he's, even Melanchthon now is getting a little tired of this. He's like, look, there's more verses I can talk about, but I'm kind of done with it. Um, would you guys like to, who wants to jump in and read that? Yeah? Ill, Go right it. ahead. All right. Paragraph 249. The adversaries insist that good works have the right to merit eternal life because Paul says, and I quote, he will render it to each one according to his works, from Romans 2.6. And again, from Romans 2.10, glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. And again, from John 5, those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And finally, from Matthew chapter 25, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. In these, and all similar passages in which works are praised in the scriptures, it is necessary to understand not only outward works, but also the faith of the heart. Scripture does not speak of hypocrisy, but of all the righteousness of the heart with its fruit. Furthermore, whenever law and works are mentioned, we must know that Christ cannot be excluded as mediator. He is the end of the law, and he himself says, apart from me, you can do nothing. This sounds like law gospel distinction. John 15, 5. <laughs> That's because it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, back to the text. We have said above that all passages about works can be judged according to this rule. When eternal life is granted to works, it is granted to those who have been justified. Only justified people who are led by the Spirit of Christ can do good works. Without faith and Christ as mediator... Good works do not please. According to Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I'll stop for a breath there. <sighs> and then finish through 253. And, and keep going. Okay. Yeah, keep going. When Paul says, he will render to each one according to his works, not only to the outward works ought to be understood, but all righteousness uh, or unrighteousness. So glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, namely to the righteous. You gave me food, from Matthew 25, is cited as the fruit and witness of the righteous to the heart of, and of faith, and therefore eternal life is given to righteousness. In this way, Scripture, at the same time with the fruit, embraces the righteousness of the heart. Scripture often names the fruit so that the inexperienced understand better. It also names them to show that a new life and rebirth are required, and not hypocrisy. But rebirth happens through faith in repentance. No sane person can judge otherwise. Next line. Yeah. Yeah. Freakish, great, insane people great, disagree. Great, great conversation there, guys. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it is. I don't know that the, the name calling is really a good way to settle the argument with the, the Roman, modern Roman Catholics. But the, the point that we're, I think, ultimately is what is Christianity for? If it's not for grace, 
what is Jesus for? You said this earlier. If he is not the mediator of this new, this different covenant, covenant that's not based on us, how mad do we have to be to have someone saving us from drowning, right? And say, no, thank you. Please leave me here. I'll get there on my own. It's just, it is, it is madness. I, I might be taking a bit out of context here. I don't think I am, but when he talks about, but all righteous or unrighteousness, I mean, it, that that's kind of a, a move there to drive home the point here of it, if it is about your works, right? So let's, let's play this out here. Where, where do your works really truly stand? Mm, all right. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, if we evaluate that, I, I, even in my best days where I feel like I'm doing a good job and doing what I'm supposed to and things like that. There is more than enough failure that can be pointed out to me in the quality of those works, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, if I'm going to be judged on my works, then it, it will be for the righteous works and the unrighteous. And is that something I really want when I sit down and evaluate the nature of them? Right. And so yeah. I better I better find hope there in the one who is perfectly righteous and in whom no unrighteousness exists. Mm. That has to be Christ, my mediator. I want him standing between me and the judgment. Thank you very much. I can't help but think a little bit about Hebrews chapter 12 as it talks about all these heroes of faith. And as they go through, it talks about how Adam and Abel and Noah and Abraham and Abraham and Abraham and David and so on are all heroes of faith. And Just about every time I read from there, I think, you know, that's kind of strange because I remember the Old Testament talking about all the flaws that these people have, but it is in faith that these are all righteous. In the same way, it is in faith that I'm righteous. It's not about the things that I do because Jesus has scrubbed away all my sin, all my faults, all my errors, and all that's left is my righteousness of faith. In the Lamb's Book of Life, I will only be known as a faithful one. Hmm. I won't be known as, uh, like Noah, as the guy who got drunk after God saved him from the flood. Or as Abraham, the guy who continued to try to pass off his wife as a sister. And we, we, we think, well, that's kind of silly that they would do such a thing. But God has scrubbed that all away and judged them to be faithful because they believed in him and they received the promise he gave them. Where with Melanchthon here, he's, as he's summarizing the adversary's other arguments, part of it is about keeping everything in context and the whole testimony of scripture, if you will. So what we just talked about, you know, these these saints in the Old Testament, if you just take the Old Testament as it is and don't read very carefully, you could potentially walk away with the impression that these guys were good people. You know, Noah, Noah was a righteous man. It just kind of starts off with that. And so you assume, hey, he was a good person, must have been something he did. Without Hebrews giving that explicit, clear context of, no, let me interpret the Old Testament for you. Let's take the whole testimony of Scripture together. Noah was a righteous man by faith. Let's be clear about that. Melanchthon's doing the same thing here. Here's the adversaries out of context verses, a whole list of them. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You got to keep all of this together. And as he's summarizing their arguments, he's going right back to, let's put all of it together. Keep it all together. Don't pick and choose. It's all together. It's by faith. Even these good works have to be understood as good works 
by faith as one who is righteous and justified before God. Totally in agreement, but I'm gonna, I'm going to say something funny anyway, just for fun. <laughs> so, so Noah was a righteous man. Esau was an hairy man. And there's three Abrahams in Hebrews 11. What are you talking about, Pastor Hill? <laughs> Abraham gets repeated three times. That doesn't mean there's three Abrahams. Okay, so there's one Abraham who gets talked about three times. <laughs> okay, you've clarified. I thought I, you were a heretic there for a second. I, I, I thought I we were going with the historical critical method here. And, yeah. I, and I think you brought up like 30 pages ago and like six months ago. Um, I exactly did that again. That was no, what he said back yeah, then. That's oh, what man. He talks about exactly, you know, the faith of the fathers and, nice. and things like that. Then, I have uh, learned something yeah, in this study. You know, Excellent. Like you're, you're looking to the wrong thing yeah. if you're looking to emulating their works and thinking they do any good yep, for you, yep. right? It is the faith that saved them that produced the good works. And that's still the case. Yeah, I mean, this this is, again, the nature. And we, we've made so many jokes about this, but it does go on and on. But it's the nature of the apology. Of the Augsburg Confession. It's a log- logical argument, and he's he's dealing with all of the accusations that have come across, and he's doing it in a very thorough way. It's just the nature of the apology, and so we kind of have to wrestle with that. So, if it's all right, let's go on and and finish out this section, and Ooh, then we can get all the way to conclusion, and then yeah, and then that can be next week. Is we, the hey, shall I finish it off tackled. since I haven't read yet? Go for it. All right, here we go. No sane person can judge otherwise. Neither do we needlessly attempt to make a fine distinction trying to separate the fruit from the righteousness of the heart. If only the adversaries would have conceded that the fruit pleases because of faith and because of Christ as mediator, and that by themselves they are not worthy of grace and of eternal life. We condemn this failure in the doctrine of the adversaries. In some passages of Scripture, understood either in a philosophical or a Jewish manner, they abolish the righteousness of faith and exclude Christ as mediator. From these passages, they conclude that works merit grace, sometimes in a merely agreeable way, de de congruo, and at other times in a wholly deserving way, de condigno, namely when love is added. They maintain that works justify, and because they are righteous, they are worthy of eternal life. This error clearly abolishes the righteousness of faith, which believes that we have access to God for Christ's sake, not for the sake of our works. It also contradicts the truth that through Christ, as priest and mediator, we are led to the Father and have a reconciled Father, as has been said well enough before. This teaching about the righteousness of faith is not to be neglected in Christ's church, because without it, we cannot consider Christ's office. When the doctrine of justification that is left is only a doctrine of, oh then the doctrine of justification that is left is only a doctrine of the law we should keep the gospel and the doctrine about the promise granted for Christ's sake you know how you know the sermon that your pastor preaches sometimes like you think it's over and then there's a second ending We'll come back next week for that. You want to say something serious, Pastor Hill? <laughs> no? It's gone. It's gone. Hey, I I thought this, uh, if only the adversaries would have conceded that the fruit pleases because of faith. This whole argument is, is not a matter of should we do good works or should we not do good works. It's a matter of conceding that it starts from Jesus, that the whole thing is from Jesus. And so, yeah, we got to do good works. Yeah, God loves our good works. Yeah, the good works are, in fact, their own reward, but they, they don't please God for their own sake. They Please, God, through the blood merit of Jesus Christ himself. we got about two minutes here, guys. They're not righteous in and of themselves. Yeah. 
Yeah, I might use another analogy here, and this is for the sake of my my friend uh, Pastor Apple, who's listening in Texas. You know, it's kind of like the Astros who won the World Series this year. <laughs> um, they had to steal the St. Louis Cardinals assistant GM and their whole system in order to finally figure out how to the how to win the World Series. You know, Series. You know they what they teach in the homiletics about yeah. about analogies? How they're not supposed to be too complicated? Yeah, yeah, we're going way too deep. Yeah, <laughs> but but they received the reward because they they received the promise of of a Detroit of the Tiger. Cardinals way to win a World Series. No, of, of a Detroit Tiger, Justin Verlander, and they won the World Series. So, <laughs> Pastor Apple, you're welcome for the World Series title there, but nonetheless. Uh, I have rarely seen such a reach in my entire life. <laughs> they wouldn't have won Did I mention eisegesis? No, 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 I'm looking at the sports, I'm yeah. talking the analogy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're eisegeting our analogies now. In part, yes. I think Pastor Smith and I are just trying to pick on Pastor Apple. We're, we're making the point of it. just how ridiculous these it. arguments are. That's right. really what we're trying to do right. here. Apparently we started really well. a war about baseball in the Facebook comments. We should, we should try to get Pastor Apple on done. for uh, the next time we're on. Just Actually, he was on one with me shot. a couple times ago. He's excellent. Good, faithful pastor in yeah. religion. Yeah. Much Sweet. better than we are. <laughs> he would that's not hard. Time. I'm not he, a pastor at all, so, you know, that's easy. Oh, I hate to break it to you, but you got to fill 35 more seconds. Hey, still, that's so. easy, because as we start to conclude uh, our own work on on this, as we go into the conclusion for, for next week, we get to say works are important. Uh, as we're going through in the three-year lectionary, Matthew 25, it talks about how we are called to use the talents that God has given us. We are called to uh, keep our lamps burning, to be ready, and to provide food and water and clothing and visits for those who are in uh those who are in need. And so that's exactly what we do. But we don't do them to earn our place in life or our fi- or our justification. We do those things because that is who we are as Christians who are justified by faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Keep Listen confessing, to- brother. Amen. You're listening Amen to Conqueror Matters on Worldwide KFUO. And as Pastor Smith, it's fun to say for Pastor Hill and Mr. Peterson and myself, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Keep confessing, church.